The reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 to 27. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defence to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about the oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us, because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in the race all the runners run, but only one gets a prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is the word of the Lord. Close call, I almost slipped over. Uh, I've just got one quick notice before um, we begin. Uh, let's let you know that 
the Bellingers are, are here in New Zealand. The, the, the Bellingers are our mission partners, and uh, they, they've made it back. Uh, they're having an, a, an event this coming Saturday, so this Saturday evening at Quinns Road Chapel. Uh, just a reminder that that's coming up. So if you're able to be there, it'll be a wonderful time. Uh, they've, they've had a lot going on over the last couple of years, and uh, there are lots of uh, encouragements, lots of uh, struggles, so uh, it'll be wonderful for us to be encouraged by them and also to encourage them in their time here. Well, let's pray and then uh, look closer at chapter 9. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, another chance to sit under your word this morning. And um, again, we ask that your spirit would be working in our hearts. Um, help us to see the things you want us to see this morning, Lord, uh, and help us not to leave here unchanged. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, in life, it's very good to have rights. Uh, and throughout history, there have been significant moments where people have been granted rights. Uh, one such moment happened here in New Zealand in, in 1893 when women were granted the right to vote. Uh, and that was, I think, I believe it was the first time all over the world, first country to allow that right. And generally speaking, it's a good thing to have rights. Uh, if you look at the, the Bill of Rights here in New Zealand, there are a number of things that seem quite good in it. Uh, there are rights for people from ethnic minorities and, and refugees. There are religious rights. There are rights for freedom against discrimination. And when we hear about people expressing their rights in day-to-day life in a, in a whole range of ways, it's, it's often seen as a very good thing, an inspiring thing. Uh, a bit like the lyrics from that Bob Marley song, Get Up, Stand Up, Stand Up for Your Rights. But the one thing you don't hear much of today is the call to give up your rights. In fact, standing up for your rights is so ingrained in our culture that it feels unnatural for us to even think about foregoing our rights for any reason at all. But that's exactly what the Apostle Paul encourages us to do as we look at today's passage. If you haven't been with us in recent weeks, we've been going through this letter of 1 Corinthians, and we're in a section where Paul, the, the author of the letter, is responding to a letter that he's received from the Corinthians. And from chapters 8 through 11, he's answering some questions they seem to have around Christian freedom. Now, God's word tells us about the bigger picture of, of how we should live our lives, but it also gives us a lot of freedom to work out what we do in particular situations. Last week we saw Paul encourage the Corinthians to be willing to restrict their freedom for the sake of those who had a weaker conscience than them. Or positively put, he encouraged them to use their freedom for the sake of others. And this week he does a similar thing. He encourages the Corinthians to be willing to give up their rights for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. Give up your rights for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. Be willing to do that. Uh, we'll look at the passage in four parts. And as we see how Paul approached his rights, uh, we'll think about what God might want us to do with our rights. Now, firstly, we see Paul is aware of his rights in verses 1 to 14. He starts in verse 1 with four questions. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? And the answer to each of those questions is a resounding yes. He is free in Christ. He was set apart by God to take the gospel to the nations. Jesus appeared to him at his conversion 
uh, when he was on the road to Damascus, which, which we read about in the book of Acts. And the church in Corinth actually came into existence as Paul brought the gospel message to them. But all of these questions hint that some people in Corinth don't think that Paul is, is legitimate. And you might have noticed that Paul seems quite defensive as, as Kayla read the, the passage. He comes across as quite defensive and, and he says as much in verse 3. This is his defense against those who have made judgments about him. So in verses 4 to 6, we see what the Corinthians think when they look at Paul. They see an imposter because his life doesn't seem to match their understanding of an apostle. Their idea of an apostle was someone who uh, was fed for the work they did, verse 4, someone who traveled around with a wife at no extra expense, verse 5, someone who didn't need to work because they were supported by those whom they ministered to, verse 6. But Paul defies their expectations on on all three counts. Uh, We saw in chapter 4 that Paul worked with his hands, and in the book of Acts we learn that he was a tent maker, and he fed and supported himself through his work. And he chose the single life, even though he could have got married, should he have chosen to. They think he's a fraud, but he's different to the other apostles. That's why they think that. And so in verses 7 to 12, he sets them straight. And he uses some everyday examples to do it, Uh, He starts with the example of a soldier in verse 7. Imagine asking soldiers to pay their own way, pay for clothing, pay for your equipment, the food, the accommodation, your travel. Or imagine uh, owning your own vineyard full of sweet, sweet grapes, but then driving all the way to the nearest supermarket to, to go and buy grapes. Or imagine owning cows, but not allowing yourself any of the milk. Uh, All these situations would be slightly ridiculous. And and Paul backs up this point by pointing to the law of Moses, uh, which is there in verse 9 as he quotes Deuteronomy 25. Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. That's what it says. Uh, While the oxen were hard at work, it's right to let them eat as well. And we see where he's going in verse 10. Because this law isn't for the oxen, but for the people of God. If oxen deserve to be fed for their work, then how much more should that be the case for people? And how much more for an apostle, for someone set apart by God? That's the point he's making here. Anyone who works, like a plowman or a thresher, uh, agricultural jobs, should, should have a hope of sharing in the harvest. His work among the Corinthians has been spiritual, and so he, he asks in verse 11, Is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others deserve support, surely Paul and his co-workers deserve even more. Now in verse 13 he gives the examples of of workers in the temple and servants at the altar, and in both cases they're fed as a result of their service. And the height of the first point is there in verse 14. In the same way the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. It is right that gospel workers are supported. And as someone who's supported in in that type of way, I must say it's a great privilege to be able to invest time into ministry. Uh, And it's something that should never be taken for granted in any sort of context. Whether you're proclaiming the gospel in a church or for a Christian organisation or even as a missionary overseas. Now verse 14 is a command from God but it shouldn't be abused. 
Uh, imagine a minister demanding a, a mansion and a pool and a sports car, and, and you might as well chuck in a boat for the three-month vacation over summer as well. But it's all for the work of the gospel. You wouldn't have to imagine it if I had my way. <laughs> or, or imagine a, a missionary heading uh, to an underdeveloped country, but demanding that they have the same rights as they would back home, the same pay, the, the same amount of space, all of it. Those who preach the gospel should receive a living from the gospel. But we need to be careful not to use verse 14 to mask greed. And even as Paul puts forward his right to be supported, he doesn't come across as being greedy. Uh, and the second point makes this clear. Paul lays aside his rights for the church. Uh, verses 15 to 18. Verse 15 says, But I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing in the hope that you will do such things for me. Uh, we also see it back in verse 12, but we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. He was very aware of, of hindering the ministry that was going on in Corinth. And so he made the decision to forego his rights as an apostle. And that's something that's very endearing about Paul. He, he's willing to give up his own personal rights for the message of Jesus. This gospel is, is more important to him than, than his rights. And I've seen some incredible examples where, where uh, people have done similar things over the years. And I'm sure you will have too. I think of people ministering at churches at their, at their own expense, uh, some working multiple jobs to allow them to keep proclaiming the gospel. Now we see what spurs Paul on to give up his rights uh, for the church in the following verses. Uh, verses 15 and 16. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my boast. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. You really get a feel for Paul's love for telling people about Jesus in these verses. But you also get the feeling he's compelled to keep preaching, because that is what Jesus has actually set him aside to do. He's been called to do that. Denying himself in this way was actually more comforting for him, and it made him more content. And it was more rewarding for him, which is what we see in verses 17 and 18. Now, of course, this isn't required for all Christians. And there are many things in, in ministry that, that couldn't be done if everyone was like Paul in this way. But it's a great sacrifice that he's willing to make for the sake of the church. Do you see the contrast between verse 14 and verses 15 to 19? Paul knows his rights, but he's willing to give up those rights for the church. And when people give up their rights for the, the sake of God's church, there, there is something satisfying about knowing that it is of eternal value. Uh, I had a friend who moved cities with his families, uh, with his family to one family, uh, to support a church plant. And uh, they weren't supported financially in any way for it, but they've been such a, a great blessing for that church. And actually their, their time there has been a great blessing for them as well. It has come at great personal cost, and there have been uh, lots of struggles along the way. But there's also a wonderful joy that comes through uh, when I talk to this guy about the sacrifices that they've made for the church. And I think this is something that St. Stephen's has done really well in the past. Uh, we know there have been some major challenges over the last 10 to 15 years, and, and people have been very sacrificial for the sake of the church through that time. 
And that is something that we must keep on doing. Be willing to lay aside our rights, our preferences, uh, whatever they may be, for the sake of our brothers and sisters. But Paul doesn't just give up his rights for the church. In the third section of the passage, we see Paul lay aside his rights for the sake of non-believers, verses 19 to 23. And here we really see Paul's heart for the lost come through. Verse 19, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. He is a a servant to all, uh, much like his Lord, Jesus. Uh, You remember those words that Jesus spoke about himself? He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And isn't that the attitude that God has worked in Paul? Willing to be a slave, to serve, if it will win others to Christ. We see how it plays out in in Paul's life in verse 20. Uh, To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. And that sounds more impressive than it is because Paul was a Jew by birth, but also a follower of Jesus. And that meant his, his views on things like circumcision and eating kosher foods would have been very different to most Jewish people. So when he interacted with them, he wouldn't have been inviting them over for bacon buddies. He'd happily be giving up his rights if it meant the opportunity for the gospel to be heard by a non-believer. And we see examples of this in in Paul's ministry at various times. Uh, One such example is in Acts 15 at a meeting in Jerusalem where some people were calling for uh, these new believers, Gentiles, people from other nations apart from Israel, to be circumcised, which was, of course, a a sign in the Old Testament that, that someone was part of God's people. And uh, Paul says, don't make it difficult for the Gentiles. For the Gentiles, It's no longer physical circumcision that marks the people of God. It is faith in Jesus. So stop making it more difficult. Now in Acts 16, Paul takes a different approach. Uh, when he wants to take Timothy uh, as he, uh, with him as he ministered among the Jews, he, he gets Timothy circumcised. He didn't want this area of freedom to be a stumbling block to the Jews. And he didn't want it to be a barrier to them receiving the gospel. Now it seems like a contradiction, and I'm sure that Paul would have been accused of being contradictory in that way, or or even flaky, but do you see how he approaches freedom? He uses it to his advantage to win people for Christ. He says, to those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all means, by all possible means, I might save some. I do all, I do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Now, there's a story of Hudson Taylor, who was a, a missionary in China, uh, and apparently at, at one stage he started tying his hair. And, and dressing like the Chinese men that he was trying to reach. And perhaps unsurprisingly, he was mocked for it. Uh, these days, he'd no doubt be cancelled. But he had thought through what was absolutely essential for the gospel, uh, things that we might call non-negotiables, and the things that were simply uh, cultural expressions, not neither here nor there, but things that could actually assist in gospel proclamation. And it's really helpful for us to think on those lines. What is non-negotiable? What could actually help us proclaim the gospel? 
I had a friend when I was younger, and uh, when I went round to their house, I always had to uh, take off my shoes at the door, and, and it was slightly offensive if I didn't. And in some cultures, if, if you visit someone in their home, you're expected to, to eat lots, and it's rude to turn down food. Now, for me, I'm, I'm quite happy to say no if I'm not hang, uh, hungry, believe it or not. But uh, in some cases, I need to go against what I think is my right. And it's good to be aware of, of these kind of, of things and, and actually to be willing to do what others do, even when we have the right not to, so that we don't unnecessarily offend people and, and put them off receiving the gospel. Sometimes we're too quick to want to do things our way, Sometimes we're, we're too argumentative and we end up provoking those who need Jesus rather than helping them. And if we're not thoughtful, that can be their lasting image of Christianity. There are many things that we might consider doing for the sake of those who don't know Jesus. And we need to ask for God's help so that we might be more aware of the behaviours of the, the culture around us, our friends, our, our colleagues, our neighbours, and, and obviously we don't take it so far as to fall into sin. Giving up our rights for non-believers isn't an excuse to justify sin. They're doing it, so I'll do it as well. It's not an excuse for us to be flaky either. Uh, when you hear that, that phrase, all things to all people, these days, it's often used negatively. It can mean being spineless or being agreeable, no matter the cost. And it's important that we check our motivations uh, in our hearts because giving up our rights for the sake of the gospel, verse 23, is different to giving up our rights purely to be liked. It's not a bad thing to be liked, but our motivation must be the glorious gospel of Jesus. Our sins are forgiven. We have new life in Jesus. We enjoy fellowship with God and with his people. And we have this secure future in heaven. And we want people to know Jesus as, as we know him. It's to help rather than hinder the gospel. And we all want to be able to do that well, don't we? And in order to do it, we need to keep growing in those two ways. Keep growing in our understanding of the word of God, understand what the, the non-negotiables are, but also keep growing in our understanding of those around us. Recognize the opportunities we have to connect with others uh, in the ways that they spend time and, and connect with people. Maybe that's through a, a music group or through sport or, or maybe you join a book club or learn a new hobby. Or maybe it's through the uh, board games that happen at Quinns Road every Sunday afternoon. Isn't that a wonderful opportunity to connect with people in the ways they connect? What are we willing to give up for those who don't yet know Jesus? Now in the final part of, of the passage, Paul shows us... Uh, the, sorry, the final part of the passage shows us Paul's uh, bigger picture motivation. This is 24 to 27. This is why he's willing to, to live the way he does. And he takes their minds into the, the sporting arena. Uh, Corinth was the home of the Ismian Games, uh, which was slightly less, uh, a less impressive version of the Olympics. And with Paul, there is no prizes for participation, uh, which is very much unlike sports these days. He says, in a race, there is only one who wins. So run in a way that you will get the prize. And the way runners do that is by training and by discipline, restricting what they do or don't do. It takes self-control. They watch what they eat and, and when they eat. And they do it all 
for something that won't last. Uh, apparently for the crown for, for a winner in those days was, was made out of dried leaves. So you can imagine it wouldn't be around for long. But Paul is running in a way and, and for a crown that will last forever. He's running now with his heavenly home in mind. And he runs for the crown that is eternal life. And because it's a, a lasting prize, he doesn't run aimlessly. He's not like the guy on the, the treadmill who's kind of expending all that effort and energy but ends up in exactly the same spot. He's not like the boxer who, who just swings at the air uh, to no avail. He himself is, is disciplined. He subdues himself to ensure that he isn't someone who calls on others to run for the prize, all the while failing to run himself. Now listen to these words of, of Richard Baxter, who was a, a guy from the 16th or 17th century, an English uh, minister, which capture Paul's approach quite nicely. Make sure that you do not offer the bread of life to others, a, a bread of life that you yourselves have never actually eaten. Paul knows the, the risks of this, which is why he watches his life so closely. So Paul the Apostle, the, the man who knew his rights, but who was willing to lay them aside for the church and for non-believers, and who does it all to make sure he finishes the race. The same race he's calling the Corinthians to run, and the same, rain, uh, the same race that we are now called to run. Uh, I want to leave you with a, a question uh, and it's this, how can a Christian stand beside the cross and insist on their rights? Uh, it's a question that was uh, written by a guy named Don Carson. Uh, I'll read it again. How can a Christian stand beside the cross and insist on their rights? Because Paul couldn't do it. That's what we've seen this morning. Jesus so moved him that he, he gave up his rights for the sake of the gospel. Uh, in a moment we're going to share communion. And it's a chance for us to remember again the one who gave up all his rights, the Lord Jesus, for people like you and I, that we might know the hope that comes through him alone. May he be our motivation as we seek to reach others with the gospel. Amen.